The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, When we think about parents and children in the Bible, we often think about fathers and sons. But the mothers and daughters of the Bible have stories just as powerful as their male counterparts. In her new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families, Shannon Bream has written a sequel to her best-selling The Women of the Bible Speak. And now she explains how God teaches us through the biblical stories of mothers and daughters. Through these stories, Shannon explains the intimate connection between faith and family and how God's unexpected agenda can redefine the way we think about family. Here to talk about her new book, I am really pleased to welcome my guest, Shannon Bream. You know, in addition to being a number one New York Times bestselling author, she's the anchor of Fox News at Night, has been the chief legal correspondent for Fox News Channel. She's covered landmark cases at the Supreme Court and heated political campaigns and policy battles from the White House to Capitol Hill. Shannon, thank you for joining me. Mr. Speaker, it's an honor to be with you. Well, it's fun, and I always enjoy having a chance to be interviewed by you and to be on your show. So this is sort of an interesting reversal of roles. It is. We love having you. Now, last year you wrote your New York bestseller, The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Let me start with that. It was such a great success. What inspired you to write that book? 
you know, my faith has always been, I try to make it the most important thing in my life. And so Fox actually came to me a couple years ago and said, we're thinking about doing books. We want to do something maybe for women in the space of religion. Would you be interested in this? And I was so humbled and excited and immediately jumped onto this project. And you know, you've written many bestsellers yourself. On the front end, it's very exciting. And then you realize the grind of work it's going to take you to get it done. And you're like, wait a minute, why did I say yes to this? But it really became a labor of love. I grew up up, learning about the Bible, knowing scripture. But I learned so much more about these women and they became so personal to me. Like I really knew them. And I thought, what a privilege to share these stories with other people who, you know, maybe they're more comfortable picking up this book than they would be trying to dive into the Bible. And so I hope it just makes these stories more accessible for everyone. So how did it feel to have five weeks in the number one spot? I mean, that's really a great achievement. I just not real, honestly, because I never thought, I don't think any of us thought it would really connect with people so well. It's such a blessing that it did. And I always chuckle to think, I don't think the New York Times wanted to have a book about the Bible put out by Fox News at number one for any weeks. So we're grateful they recognized it. But I just heard stories from people around the world, men and women, and how they've shared it with each other and studied it together. And it's just been a huge blessing. I think that's great. And I can tell you from my own experiences, you must have been selling a lot of books for the Times to sort of grudgingly recognize you were number one. Yeah, I owe a lot of that to our Fox viewers. They're very faithful, not only to us, but really in their own religious faith. I think many of them are committed and appreciate someone that would recognize that and appeal to where they're at, which is wanting more of this material like this that celebrates faith and family. And that's what we've tried to give them. Your first book was published by Fox News Books, but now I understand that you're really becoming a trailblazer because your new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, is the first franchise series that Fox News has launched. I think that's really a remarkable tribute to you that they've decided to sort of double down and create a series that you become the centerpiece of. And when you finished with The Women of the Bible Speak, What led you to then come back? I have two daughters, so I'm curious. What led you to come back now and focus on mothers and daughters of the Bible? Well, there are so many women in the first book that we couldn't include. I mean, we tried, we went back and forth on a couple of them and tried to jam in as many stories as we could and give them their due to really explain and flesh out their stories and their lives. But we know there's so many still left. And we thought, okay, let's take another look at this. And this time we'll do it through the lens of family. So we get to highlight these amazing women all throughout the Bible again, Old and New Testament. And we really dig into their lives from this you know, family relationship viewpoint. And the fact is there are some that are very faithful and beautiful and encouraging. There's some that are like, the dynasty Dallas, like on steroids situation of dysfunctional families, of backstabbing and betrayal, and I mean, crazy stuff. And we thought, I love that God includes all of that in the Bible, because if he just used people with no flaws, it would be Jesus in the Bible and that's it. And I think that should be encouraging to all of us because, listen, I ask for forgiveness every day. I need it. I'm flawed. And we see that all through these women in the Bible, that God used them, even despite some of their ridiculously bad decisions, he can still chart our course and redeem our story and use us. So this time we just look at families, the good and the bad, and hopefully learn and get encouraged from that. Now, in your first book, you have 16 women. You now come back and you have sort of nine mother-daughter relationships. What led you to the number nine? Was there anything particular? 
Well, again, it's trying to figure out how many we can fit in in a compelling way, but really give their stories the time and the space that they need to breathe. And we really start to look through. The Bible doesn't give us a ton of traditional mother-daughter stories in a very fleshed out way. So we start with Jochebed and Miriam because that's one of the ones we have the most information about. But then we said, let's look at mothers. We have some mothers and sons. We have daughters. We have fathers and daughters. And so it's just looking across all of those parental relationships with the focus on the women in each of those stories. And it was just a fun, different way to kind of tackle these characters and get to know them in a different way than maybe you've seen them before. Obviously, you're a faithful person yourself and you've had a background of reading and thinking about all this. Did doing the research for these particular stories, did that change any of them in terms of your own interpretation, and did any of them surprise you? Yeah, they really did, and I think you probably know this. When you go to research a book or a story that you know about, you're already interested, you love it, you want to know more about it, and that's how I felt about all these stories in both of the books. And I learned so much more. I think when you dig into the context of, you know, I have theologians who let me pick their brains and bug them and say, what did this really say in Greek or Hebrew? What was the context of that time? What were the cultural norms of that time? And so to have all that context just made the story so much richer to me. And I learned a lot about these women. You know who really surprised me was Bathsheba. And we know her story if you've been in church or grown up learning about the Old Testament The story I'd always been told is sort of like Bathsheba is this temptress and she ensnares David and they get into all this trouble. But when you go back and study and read the scripture, that is not how scripture portrays her at all. And I think it's important to challenge whatever story that you've been told. If it doesn't line up with scripture, I'm going with God's word. And we learn so much more about Bathsheba and not knowing really how she felt about David, how she felt about being called to the palace. And there's no indication that she was trying to catch his eye or tempt him. They end up in a horrible situation together. But what a lot of people forget is they don't follow Bathsheba's story all the way through, which is she's the mother of King Solomon. And think about him described as the wisest man ever by God, who God had gone to him and said, Solomon, what can I do for you? And instead of asking for fame and fortune and all of those things that most of us would be tempted to do, worldly pleasures, he said, I want wisdom. And God said, because you asked for that, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you all those other things you didn't ask for, the fame and fortune. So you see a lot of the relationship between Bathsheba and King Solomon as he ascends to the throne. And I thought, gosh, I kind of just lost her in the story there at some point. I didn't follow this all the way through. So she was the most surprising to me and really changed my perception of what I had of her going into the scripture study. Well, I mean, in a sense, she was loyal enough to Uriah that David basically has to send him out to get killed. It wasn't like, will you divorce him so you'll marry me? It was like, I'm going to eliminate the option and then take you. It's always struck me that there was a strange kind of justice in that their oldest son, Absalom, rises in rebellion against his father, ultimately gets killed, but then you get Solomon. And so in a sense, there's a penalty really against David, not against Bathsheba, but as the prophet says to David, that David's the one who's guilty in a very chilling confrontation. And then you have the punishment, but then you also have the great reward of Solomon, who was arguably the best of Israeli kings, or the second best, depending on how you see David and his role in creating Jerusalem. I think we all as faithful believers love about David is that he was majorly flawed, made horrible decisions, 
and really sinned against God. And God still called him a man after my own heart and was able to use him to lead the nation of Israel in a really special, amazing way. So I find that encouraging that no matter if we stumble or not, we can still be used of God if we'll humble ourselves as David did in Psalm 51. He has this beautiful prayer of begging for forgiveness. I've often taken comfort in Psalm 51 because he just says, I've been wrong. Please cleanse me and make me whole. And, and God was faithful to say, okay, you've humbled yourself and come back to me. And I can use that. Yeah, I think David is remarkably human in that sense. And a reminder that you can be human and can be saved. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. That's good news for all of us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, since all of us fall short of the glory of God, we all have to rely, I think, on mercy rather than justice. In fact, somebody once said, the younger you are, the more you think justice is a good idea. And the longer you've lived, the more you decide mercy would really be a good idea. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, 
We've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But I have to ask you, as you read all these different family relationships, did any of them sort of remind you of your own childhood and your own relationship with your mom? Yes. In Jacobet and Miriam, I definitely see that because these women, we have to remember the context for them when we come upon them and meet them and Moses, in that they were Hebrew slaves. I mean, the Egyptians were oppressing them. They were very threatened, Pharaoh was, by the Hebrew people because God was blessing them and they were multiplying. And so Pharaoh comes up with this idea that every male child that's born to these Hebrew female slaves is going to get thrown into the Nile and be killed. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, imagine being Jacobet or any of these women carrying a baby, having such conflicting emotions and worries. Like if I give birth and this baby is a boy, he could be taken from me and just thrown into the Nile and killed. But Jacobet, we're told when she saw Moses when he was born, her baby boy, she already had Miriam. So she's the older sister. She's the daughter in the story. She sees Moses, and the Bible tells us she sees something special or different, almost like a spiritual destiny or call on him. And she has no choices in her life as a slave woman, but makes this bold choice to disobey the orders and save and hide her child. And she does that with the help of Miriam. This mother and daughter work together to have a life-saving effort to cover Moses and preserve him. He goes on to be the one to lead the Exodus, the Israelites out to their promised land and to the new world and salvation from slavery and oppression. So without this mother-daughter trio working in tandem and being very courageous, where does Moses's story go? So I see a lot of my mom in that she is a faithful person who I tell people, you can run into her somewhere. And if you tell her your story and you're having trouble, she'll say, I'm going to pray for you. And it's not just that she will. She might actually stop in the grocery store or wherever it is and say, let's pray right here. But she'll really be on her knees in prayer for you around the clock. She is a true prayer warrior and somebody who shows up in your worst moments. She's got the casserole, the homemade bread. She'll babysit. She'll dog sit. I mean, she's just somebody who shows up and is a faithful, faithful witness. And I say to her only half jokingly, like when I grow up, I want to be you or at least more like you. So she has modeled faith for me. And I really saw that in the Jacobed Miriam relationship in that they trusted each other and they were faithful and they were brave and courageous. And Jacobed modeled all of those things for Miriam, who also ended up being a leader in the nation of Israel. So you think about Jacobed, what an amazing woman. She raised Moses, Miriam and Aaron, who was, you know, the head of all the priests for Israel, too. So this mom sort of had the trifecta of overachievers in her family. You talk a lot in your book about spiritual motherhood. What does that mean to you and what should the rest of us draw from it? You know, a lot of these relationships that we see in scripture aren't mother-daughter by blood, but they could be by marriage or by mentorship. We have Naomi and Ruth, who their story is one of my absolute favorites because 
they are a mother and daughter-in-law who are both widowed. So in that day and age to not have a male as either a financial provider or as a protector, I mean, they were destitute. They lived in poverty, but they stuck together. And at one point we have this beautiful interaction where Naomi is saying to Ruth, go back, you're still young, you can have a family, you can start fresh. And Ruth says, nope. It's that speech we often hear used in weddings, that scripture passage where she says, where you go, I will go. Don't make me turn back from you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I mean, that's Ruth and Naomi. So this daughter-in-law becomes a daughter in just every possible conceivable way, goes on this journey with Naomi back to her home country, embraces her people, and they do live in poverty. I mean, they're collecting scraps left over after the fields have been harvested. But Ruth says, I'm gonna stay with you, Naomi, and they stick together. And it winds up in this beautiful love story and redemption and God's blessing with Boaz and Ruth becoming married and that being in the lineage of Christ. So I just love their story that these women who had nothing but their faith in each other stuck together. In the New Testament, I love, love the story of Elizabeth and Mary who were cousins. They were not mother-daughter, but in many ways, spiritual mother-daughter. Both of them had these miraculous divine pregnancies. Elizabeth, decades after she had wanted a child and had probably given up and was much older than should have ever been having a baby. And then you have her young cousin, Mary, who has this divine pregnancy at a very young age when she may have been very frightened and certainly this unexpected pregnancy. But I love that when Gabriel goes to Mary to tell her that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah, Gabriel says, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. So to me, it's beautiful that God wove together their stories at the same time, knowing, listen, nobody's going to believe either one of their stories. This is supernatural divine intervention. And they both may be frightened or unsure in different ways, but they had each other through that. And I love that God gives us spiritual mothers and daughters in our lives. I've seen that in my own life, and I'm super grateful for it. You know, this story came up today at the Basilica where they had a mass for Ukraine and Russia. And they were pointed out that when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, which is a very famous moment where Elizabeth's son sort of kicks her in recognition of Jesus and becomes John the Baptist, that Mary had probably walked 80 miles because back then you didn't have cars and you didn't have mass transit. And she just literally had walked to go see her. And that struck me that in itself was a level of dedication that a lot of modern people would, I think, find really hard. So in your own life, have you had what you would consider to be spiritual mothers? I have. I talk about a friend in the book who is Mariam and she has been a godsend to me. She's somebody that when somebody says, who's the most beautiful person you know? Like she is the most grace-filled, inside and out beautiful person that I know. She's welcoming, her door is always open. She's taken in so many people, given them literally a place to live, a roof over their head. She and her husband are just some of the most faithful, grace-filled, generous people that I know. And she's always got a good, wise word. She will speak to you in truth, but drenched in love. And there have been times in my life when I've had very dark moments and real struggles. And I think about one, you know, I've talked some in the past about a chronic illness and chronic pain situation that I lived with for years. And it gotten just to a complete despairing place when I'd gone from doctor to doctor and nobody had been able to diagnose me or help me at that point. I hadn't eventually found this doctor who's been an amazing, I tell him he's an answer to prayer because I literally prayed God would send me to the right person. But in my darkest moment, I remember calling up Miriam when I was just in excruciating pain and feeling like I could not go on like this anymore. It had been years of this. And she said, come over. 
And I went and sat on this pretty little gazebo that she's got in her backyard and just cried, like ugly cry, you know, tears and sobbing and had nothing left. And in that moment, she was so faithful to pray over me, to encourage me, to remind me that Christ has suffered everything we've suffered and more. So he's not a distant, unfeeling God. I mean, he is with us. He's interceding for us. And he's in every moment of misery that we have. And so Mariam has just been an example to me. She has her own physical struggles in life, but she doesn't complain about them. She doesn't make excuses or not do things because of them. She's constantly in service to God and to other people and is such a beautiful comfort and a witness to me. That's great. That's remarkable, I think. Watching you and listening to you, you also remind me that to have those kind of relationships, you have to be open to them. In a sense, you have to slow down a little bit to allow the relationships to form. And I think that's part of what people sometimes, whether because they're afraid or because they're arrogant or because they're busy, they don't realize that there's a lot more out there for them if they'll slow down and open up. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be vulnerable, too. I think that, especially I feel for the younger generation, my goodness, that everything has to be perfectly curated and look great on Instagram. And you take a thousand selfies and you have one where you're happy and your hair's great. And for people with kids, your kids are lined up, they're behaving, they're great. I mean, everything online that we present each other is usually not the truth. I think it's hard to be vulnerable, but the relationships are so much richer and our ability to serve other people with real empathy and real care can only happen if we take that step, which is sometimes uncomfortable. I think that's right. I think people don't realize that you have to be vulnerable to be open enough to allow people in so they can then actually be your friend. And so there is that risk of sort of lowering the armor, I think. This is obviously going to be a very successful book. You have really found an interesting angle to look at life and to bring together the wisdom of the Bible with the daily needs of normal Americans. And we're working on a project, actually, that your book helps with, which is looking at lives and deaths of despair, the number of suicides, the number of drug overdoses, the amount of alcoholism, the homelessness. All of that, I think, is in part a function of people who close up too much and who aren't willing to relax and accept God's grace and look for the kind of spiritual friends, whether it's a spiritual mother or a spiritual father that can really make your life so much richer and can help you through the long, dark parts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on... 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you don't mind, though, I want to take just a minute or two because, of course, everyone knows you from your role at Fox News and the great, great job you do there. It's interesting. I didn't realize until we were preparing for this because I've always known you as a journalist, but you actually practice corporate law in Florida. I did. I'm one of those recovering slash retired lawyers. Yeah, I joke about it, but my dad was only half joking when he told me in college, like, you're going to law school or med school. So just pick one. And I want to hear anything about any guys, any marriage, any engagements. Like you get through one of those and then we can talk about the rest of your life. And I was a good student growing up. So I think my dad and my mom was a teacher. They really valued education. And I think my dad wanted to make sure that I would be able to, you know, have a career and take care of myself and have a way in the world. And I was interested in law and politics. So for me, law school made a lot of sense. And so I went back home to Tallahassee where I grew up, went to Florida State. And law school is tough. I mean, anybody who's been through it, you know, I mean, it's a difficult thing. But it gave me such a great foundation in a couple of things I really use now, which is research, digging and digging, getting to the bottom of the story, knowing that there are, people have a lot of different versions of looking at the same event. 
So you got to dig a little bit and also writing. I mean, it forces you to write a lot. I did that for a few years, but I've always been a news junkie and I could never really escape that pull. So I tell people, you know, I had my midlife crisis at almost 29, 30 years old, had my midlife crisis there and said, I'm going to do this and change my career and blow things up. And it was a weird path, but it's one I'm really grateful I took. Okay. So you're already a successful lawyer. You have an interesting life. What leads you to broadcast as your alternative path? I really loved news. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. While I'm still at my law firm, I'm going to see if I can go intern at a local TV station and see what it's like. So I go in there and they're like, you can't just show up here and work for free. Like we have rules and there are labor standards. And as a labor and employment attorney, I knew that. So they said, you can only do this for college credit. So I thought, okay, I'll call a college and see if they'll let me do this for credit. And I got so many no's. And finally, somebody at the University of South Florida in Tampa said, all right, quit bugging us. I mean, you just got to wear people down. I tell people, even once you get into the business, you're just going to get a lot of no's and you have to just keep fighting until you get yes. But this will date me. I faxed over my transcripts to this dean, this professor at USF. And I would call him, I would email him. And so finally he said, come have a meeting with me. He said, okay, I can see you're a serious student. You got to take a news writing class because you don't know what you're doing. I said, okay, I'll take the news writing class. And he said, I'll approve these credits for you to go intern. So I would intern overnight after I would leave my law firm and I'd hide it from them and not tell them what I was doing. And I would go over there and work overnights or weekends. And I fell in love with it immediately. I was just like, I love this. People are going and finding stories and telling stories. This is what I want to do. And so at the end of that internship, I went to my boss there at the station and I said, I'm quitting my law firm. And he said, no one's offered you a job here. And I said, just a technicality. I'm stepping out on faith and I believe something's going to come up for me in this business. And I started at the bottom and just worked my way up. That's wild. Is there a parallelism between what you did as a very junior reporter at a local station and what you do now, or are they dramatically different? I think you're still finding and telling stories and digging for the truth. That definitely is something that is consistent. But at this level, you have a lot more help and you have sort of a bigger megaphone, hopefully to highlight stories and people that you think are critical and important. And you have a lot more responsibility, obviously, with the bigger your audience grows. But Everything I learned as a beginning reporter and producer is invaluable. If you can learn how to find the stories, run them down, get the interviews, shoot them yourself, log the tape, write the script. I mean, all of those things are great so that when you do have more help along the way, like other producers and writers and photographers, you're just extra grateful for them and you appreciate what they do. But in a pinch, you know how to do the job yourself if you need to. So I think I'm glad that I started the way that I did and just learned everything by kind of sink or swim. But it was kind of cool because when you make the jump from local to Fox, it combines your two careers because you become the Supreme Court correspondent. So your law background is kind of perfect for now being a reporter. Right. And I had met Britt Hume at a speech that he was giving. He was backstage in the green room. I knew he was going to be there. So this is a little bit of an ambush on Britt. I was a local reporter and anchor in D.C. at that time. But Fox was taking off. It was blowing up. And like everybody else, I was sending in my tapes, my DVDs. I would never hear anything back. I couldn't get an interview. So I knew Britt was going to be at this thing. So I'm in the backstage with some other people and talking. And he says, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And my husband was there and he said, I don't know if you know this, but my wife is a local reporter here in Washington. And Britt says, oh, what do you want to do long term? And I just skirted up all my courage. And I said to him, I want to come work for you at Fox News. And he said, I get that all the time. 
<laughs> sort of this polite, like, get away, crazy lady. He was nice and said, please send over your stuff. I'll look at it, give you some professional critique. I was really grateful for that. I left the room. I was a little bit embarrassed. I went for a little walk. Well, my husband stayed there and he said to my husband, you know, does she like politics? What is she into? And my husband said, yeah, when she was in law school, she worked in the Florida house on a tuition program. And Britt said, she went to law school. Did she finish? And my husband said, oh, yeah, she graduated with honors. And Britt said, do you think she'd want to cover the Supreme Court? And Sheldon, my husband says, well, I'm not going to speak for her, but I think she'd be very interested in that. So I've been very politely kind of blown off by Britt. I come back from this five minute walk and he says to me, when can you start? And I look at my husband and says, what in the heck happened while I was gone for five minutes? But Britt only wanted to interview people to cover the Supreme Court who had a law background. And once he found that out, it was my way in with him and the conversation with him. And so I credit him for giving me a chance and believing I could do this job. That's great. And he's just a great guy. All around. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a bunch of stuff together and I'm always impressed with just how calm and competent he is mm -hmm. and how pleasant he is. He is. And I've turned to him many times as a professional mentor to ask for his advice. And he is really good in that role too. Oh, I would think he would be very, very good. So you covered, I think, five different nominations. You know, I was counting the other day. Let me see. So I, Kagan Sotomayor, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, and now Jackson. So it's been six. I'm getting old. And Kagan. Right. I'm getting old, Newt. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have a number of notches on your camera for the number of places you've been. Exactly. They've all been different. Of all those hearings, I mean, which one did you find the most fascinating? I got to say Kavanaugh because it was like nothing else I've ever covered on the Hill in Washington. From the minute that then Chairman Chuck Grassley started giving his opening statement and there were interruptions five seconds in, I thought, what is happening? This is very strange. All the calls to try to adjourn the thing and shut it down and we're not going to do this. And that was pre-COVID. So that's when anyone could be in the public audience and come into those hearings. And the poor Capitol Police, my goodness, these men and women earned their money and then some for that entire week because they would let people in. We started playing sort of protester bingo. We would look at the people who would come in and say like, oh, that one's definitely jumping up. That one's definitely got a poster hiding under their jacket. It was just one after the other to where it was so jarring to have them constantly screaming and jumping up, physically being dragged out. I mean, that went on for days. It was just the most bizarre situation. And I remember senators from both sides of the aisle couldn't get to the floor. They couldn't get to their offices, people running on the elevators with them. It was just a boisterous, crazy circus. And I don't think anything will ever, I hope, be like that confirmation hearing again. Well, I guess it was in part because I think that was the seat that switched from what had been a liberal court to a conservative court. Well, it was, you know, that he was going to step into a position that was going to be around for a long time. I mean, he was replacing Kennedy, who had become a swing vote. And everything about him threatened folks. He was very young. So you imagine he's going to have decades on the court. Yeah. That's one of the Trump strategies was to appoint really young judges and really young justices so that they'll shape it for a generation. And I think it's a remarkable difference if you look at the way the current hearings are going. They're much more genteel. They're much more rational. <laughs> right. And I felt badly for Kavanaugh's family. I thought that was really a very tough personal period. The White House has to choose someone that is not only a brilliant legal mind, somebody they think will line up with their judicial philosophy, but somebody who can run that gauntlet because it is bruising. It is brutal. Your family is sitting there with you. I mean, we all remember Martha Analito, who was in tears. I mean, 
it's brutal for your family members, your kids, everybody who sits there, whether you're appointed by a Republican or a Democrat, it's nerve wracking. And the family goes through it right with that nominee. Well, and of course, one of the great privileges you've had is that you've been at the center of national power. There's a reason there's so much intensity. Here's the most complicated country in the world. People get really, you know, their dreams and their fears all ultimately end up somewhere in Washington, D.C. It's an amazing process. You've been very generous with your time because I know how busy you are, and I know that in part just by watching TV. But in addition to the other things you're doing, I really want to thank you for joining me, for talking both about what you currently do, but also this remarkable book on Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, which does have lessons on faith from nine biblical families. So I'm recommending to our listeners to purchase a copy. It comes out on Tuesday, March 29th, and I have no doubt that they will be buying your second number one bestseller. So thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you for the time. And I really enjoyed the discussion. And thank you for speaking faith into the public forum, too. I think we need more of that. Thank you to my guest, Shannon Ream. You get a link to buy her new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, on our show page at newtworld.com. Newtworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.